Welcome to Making Art Work, produced by the Arts Administration Program at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York. I'm Travis Newton, your host and director of the program. Today's guest is Mike Fantasia, who has served as location manager for more than 25 films during the course of his career. This is a second career for Mike, who earned a degree in environmental science and geography from SUNY Plattsburgh. He was working in Montana for the U.S. Forest Service in 1989 when Steven Spielberg rolled into town to film Always, starring Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, and John Goodman. Fantasia then made the leap from working for the government to working in Hollywood, where his credits include such hits as The Amazing Spider-Man, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Memoirs of a Geisha, Seabiscuit, Free Willy, and many more. In 2005 and 2010, he was honored by the California On Location Awards for his work on Memoirs of a Geisha and the Green Hornet. Mike Fantasia, welcome to Lemoyne College and Making Art Work. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Um, so I wanted to start off with a question. I, I would assume that a really important part of what you do is translating what the director wants in terms of their artistic vision into reality. And I wonder if you could start out by talking about in finding locations and being a location manager, what are some of the challenges that you have encountered in translating that vision into reality? The biggest potential problem, and and it it shows up about half the time, is just getting on the same page as the director and the production designer and the cinematographer. They're really the key elements. The director has a vision he translates his vision to the cinematographer, to the production designer. They translate it to me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you lose something in that translation. Like telephone. Like, like telephone. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you find yourself a lot of times going right to the director, asking questions directly and getting information. Um, one challenge recently, the last 10 years or so, um, film incentives are very popular in the U.S., around the world. Right. So in the old days... You, you mean tax incentives tax and things incentives, like that? Tax incentives, yeah, for production companies to entice them to come to their community. In the old days, you'd get a script, you'd break it down, you would tell them, here's the best four places to go to scout the film. Today, you get a script, you break it down, and they say, you're going to go to these four or five cities or states or countries, whether or not they have the um, elements that you need or not. Right, And so it's a, it's a much bigger challenge, say, to find Michigan when you're in Albuquerque or San Francisco when you're in Atlanta than if you're in those cities. So in some ways it limits your options a little bit in terms of where you're looking. Greatly, greatly. Probably greatly saves limits. you some travel time too. Uh, no, <laughs> no. No, actually no. A lot of times you're going to places that are, are not where you need to go or want to go. Got so it. you end up traveling a lot more actually. Got it. So you talk about talking to the director director you know directly how difficult is that with someone like Steven Spielberg to even reach them are there many layers that you need to go through have you gotten to the point where you really have a direct line or how does that work logistically well uh, every director is different and access to directors is different um, Steven is a very busy person he is involved in things worldwide He's involved. He might be directing uh, the, the feature you're working on, but he might be producing a TV series, right. another movie. He might be involved. At one point, he was working with the Olympics. You know, one thing with Stephen is you, 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 meet, you get a phone call from the Secret Service saying, the King of Jordan is coming to visit next week, mm-hmm. or <laughs> Bill and Hillary are coming to visit tomorrow, mm-hmm. or between 710 and 713 tomorrow, Stephen's going to speak with the astronauts going over in 
in the space station because it's the 20th anniversary of E.T., and he's going to beam directly to every fifth grader in the country. So could you please call this person and make arrangements for the uplink? Wow. <laughs> so you don't have that with a lot of directors. So right. with Steven, actually, he, he in, in my experience, is he didn't scout a lot. He trusted his production designer, art directors, cinematographer, assistant director, and location manager to go out, scout, take photographs, build models, walk him through the sets, through mm-hmm. the photographs or models or whatever. He would make decisions, and most of the time he would show up and be very happy with what he had. Not to say that you didn't have meetings with him, but you would arrange a meeting sometimes a week in advance. Sure. And you'd be there, and you'd go to visit with all your – you'd trundle up to his, his office, and you'd have models and photographs and videos and everything, and you'd go through things for a couple of hours and get your decisions. Other directors are sometimes just down the hall. The director I'm working with now, um, I can walk by his office, give his assistant you know, a little questioning look, and she'll say, yeah, go on in. Sit down, ask a few questions, look at some photographs, and get an answer. So every every project is different. Every director is different. So, and you talk about Steven Spielberg and and the how tightly scheduled he is, and how how sort of intense. And in fact, you were quoted in Premier Traveler magazine as saying to a group of local workers who are working on Munich in uh, Budapest. They're working on the film Munich in Budapest. And you said, in eight weeks, the biggest tidal wave you've ever seen is going to roll in here, and his name is Steven Spielberg. And so I wonder, what is that like when, you, when you're working with people who, who maybe they've never even worked on a film before? How do you prepare that group of people for what's about to happen? By telling them that the biggest tsunami <laughs> they've ever... Yeah, it, it, was, it was a very difficult time. We are having a hard time getting things accomplished there. And um, I, I just had to make my point that I was there because I knew what I was doing, that mm-hmm. I had his trust. Mm-hmm. I had the producer's trust. That's why I was there. And that we need to accomplish certain things. And the attitudes that I was seeing was not going to get us to that point. Right. And I said, look, I'm going to come away from this in the same shape I'm in now. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. (laughs) Stephen might say, I never want to go to Budapest again. Or he might tell other filmmakers, I had a terrible time there. So I said, you have, you know, a choice. Either we buck up and we do things the way... I say that we need to do them as the representative of the production company because when I was there, I was virtually the only – I was one of like five or six Americans working with a primarily European crew while Stephen and the first unit were in Malta shooting the first half of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we were the half a dozen people that were at the forefront. And so we just had to say to these guys, here's what has to happen or you're going to look like fools on day one when things aren't ready. And it came together, I assume. It, it, it was it, it was difficult, but it came together. <laughs> we got what we needed to get. I think Stephen was very happy at the end, and he made a great movie. Yeah. Um, I watched the movie for the first time uh, since it came out on the plane coming out here, and I just I just shook my head at some of those scenes, <laughs> you know, knowing what the camera is yeah, really not seeing, going on, what really happened <laughs> to get us there. But it, I, I I think it was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great movie. So, and moving beyond. Spielberg to other directors, when you're looking at locations, potential locations, uh, let's say there's a specific scene and and the director wants options, how many different options do you typically come up with for for a director to look at and and make a decision like that? Every director is different. Uh, Some directors are not as choosy as other directors. Some directors, you show them two or three good options and they'll be happy with any of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another director who I won't name... Uh, a friend of mine, I, I never worked with this person, but a friend of mine worked with this director, and she showed him 150 restaurants wow. for one location. 
before he chose one. Now, I'm sorry. I know that somewhere between 1 and 30, one of those could have worked. But she just, you know, it's what this guy, it's what this guy's like. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone, every, before you get to the director, you go to the production designer. Sure. That's who I work most closely with. So the production, I show the, I might show the production designer 50 locations, and he might choose four or five or six. Mm-hmm. And we go to the director with those, and, and, and they'll choose one. So it's, it's just different. Every director is different. Sure. Every project's different. Every every the requirements every location of every location are different. Well, and speaking of the requirements, um, you mentioned the tax incentives that many many countries and cities and uh, areas have instituted in order to attract filming to to their region. And beyond that, what other types of infrastructure and resources are you looking for in a in a filming location other than you know, simply the look. What else are you looking for when you're looking at these places? Often, well, first of all, crew. Is there crew availability locally? Mm-hmm. It's always great to be able to come into a, a, a new place and have grips, electricians, hair, makeup, wardrobe people, craft service, uh, art department, people who can work locally. It mm-hmm. saves the company money. Mm-hmm. Um, stages or places that can be used to build sets, uh, typically old warehouses, hopefully insulated for sound, mm-hmm. uh, always work great, 30, 35-foot ceiling, 7, 10, 15,000 square feet. That gives us the ability to build, uh, if not sets primarily to film in, uh, for cover sets in case you get you know, upstate New York, you get a lot of rain, we get a lot of snow here. So We do? Yeah, you may have uh, seen yeah. some in your, in your Going time. to Plattsburgh, you've probably experienced that growing up in Auburn. Yeah, saw a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So it's always nice to have a cover set so that uh, if the rain comes, you have a place to run to. Um, and then just generally um, a, a political and governmental system that's in place that will accommodate filmmaking. Most places don't have film permits, permitting mm-hmm. in, in, in their repertoire of uh, government mm-hmm. functions. So you end up dealing with uh, city engineers and planning staff a lot of times. And a lot of times it's, it's a learning experience for them. Sure. Because we don't fit into the mold of a construction project or a new power line or building a new residence or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's an educating uh, – we have to educate the public. Well, and when you move into a, a location, I can imagine, you know, it, it must have a pretty dramatic impact on that area depending on the size of the film. Uh, for a large film, obviously, um, economically and in lots of other ways, it has a big impact on the area. So I'm wondering, you know, moving into an area and then moving out, do you sort of adopt, try to adopt a sort of a low-impact approach where you leave things – better than the way you found them or how do you how do you figure out you know what needs to be done before you leave a location well we all, i always it's sort of a a good location manager's mantra you know we we find the location and we leave it in a little bit better than we found it mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of ways to do that uh, i have i've planted trees I've I've purchased gym wow. equipment for schools yeah. i you know you you go in you shoot you film it at school they've got a, a permit uh fee of 100 bucks a day or something. Mm-hmm. You've been there for three weeks. So I've always got a little money in my budget for a new swing set for the kids or gymnastic equipment or I've bought uh, team, uh, football uniforms for teams, baseball uniforms. Mm-hmm. I've dog, um, uh, along dog walks, the little things that hold the doggy bags. Right. Uh, those, you know, it, <laughs> it just depends on little what, things. what people want. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, we, m- the films that I've been working on for a long time are, are pretty big, large impact, 
big footprint, a lot of vehicles. We always mess up traffic. You know, we're doing a running shot. We're holding traffic for five minutes. It's, it's impacting. So you try to be as good a neighbor as you can. You try to explain to people what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you try to have um, uh, as little impact as possible. There's no way a company can come in, let's say on a, a big budget $200 million movie, and have no impact. And, and people get angry sometimes and upset. But as I tell people, we're spending $200 million here. Right. You know, we're dumping money into the economy. There's nobody that's going to come and give you $200 million without some kind of impact. It's, it's much like building a pipeline or building a subdivision, building a high-rise downtown. There's an impact. And we try to be good neighbors. We try to be polite. We try to let people know what we're doing and leave things a little bit better than we found them. What drew you to this type of work? You're, you're dealing with so many details on a daily basis. You know, you're working with local government. You're working with local community members, local businesses. Um, you're, you're sort of the liaison between those folks and your, your creatives on the, um, you know, on the filmmaking side. So what in your life sort of drew you to this type of work, and what skills uh, – do you think that you picked up along the way that, that really are helping you now in what you're doing? I'm a busybody. Okay. <laughs> I, like to be, I like to be involved in everything that's going on around me. I don't like to be just told what to do. I like to be involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, my, background, my background in geography, environmental science, prepared me for a 13 or 14 years with the federal government as a land appraiser, a cartographer, realty specialist. I did permits. I'm used to looking at photographs, aerial, aerial, uh, aerial photographs, maps. Uh, I'm used to finding my way to a property, analyzing a property. I worked for the Forest Service. Uh, during the summer, we'd be on forest fires. I would have 80 kids working for me on a strike team on a fire, or I would be setting up a base camp for 3,000 people with bathrooms and catering and sleeping areas and logistics and transportation. These translate perfectly to what I do as a location manager. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just it's just who I am. It takes a certain kind of personality to be a good location manager. You have to straddle the line between artistic at the beginning mm-hmm. of the project when you have to find the locations, and you translate that. That translates then into more of a production-oriented uh, uh, time during the, 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 the making of the film right. where you're worried about the logistics and you're talking to the neighbors and stopping traffic stopping and all traffic that. and let, you know flying helicopters at 30 feet above a main city, you know, Pine Street in San Francisco, or flying a helicopter under the Golden Gate Bridge, or building a fire in somebody's home in a residential area. You know, we have to work with all these permitting agencies, and some people that work on the film crew are not as, they're maybe a little more brusque than others. Not as diplomatic. Not as diplomatic. (laughs) You're very diplomatic. Uh, And so I have to be. And Uh and there are times when I'm I'm literally holding a neighbor apart from a special effects guy or a grip or an electrician. to, and try to, to try to mediate uh, some of the some of the problems that come up. So I I walk a fine line. I've got to make everybody on my team, everybody on the production happy at the end of the day. Right. And I've got to make the city officials and the property owner and the homeowner happy at the same time. So I have to walk a fine line. And sometimes it's very difficult when the production is pushing for certain things that you know are not really what the uh, officials want, the homeowner wants. So it's 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 stressful at times. It's stressful. I can times. imagine. But I love it. I, I, it's, <laughs> it's it's, it's, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> well, in it shows. Manager. It's good that you love it. And we want to thank you so much for being here, Mike. Um, we really enjoyed talking to you. I hope, hope you'll come back again sometime. 
Just call. I'll be back. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much. We'd also like to thank the Lemoyne College Film Program and the Syracuse International Film Festival for sharing Mike with us today. Uh, Making Artwork is produced by the Arts Administration Program at Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York, with support provided by the Department of Communication and Film Studies and WLMU Radio. Our theme song was written by Lemoyne College music faculty member Edward Rahowski and performed by the Bang on a Can All-Stars. For more information about arts administration at Lemoyne, visit lemoyne.edu slash artsadmin or follow us on Twitter at LMCArtsADMN. I'm your host, Travis Newton, hoping you'll join us again next time on Making Art Work.